0: Good good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, you can actually end up believing some of the things people say about you and get yourself into a lot of trouble. Um, It's a real privilege to be here today and to share with you once again. It is good to see um, Pastor Steve with us your wife has missed you (laughs) Uh, and the church has also missed you we'll hear from me at the end you close us off all right so you can then bring the revelation and the rest of the stuff but it's good to see him with us he was in ghana he was quite busy and uh it's great the lord has brought back safely he's a walking miracle you know seeing what god has done in his life the fact that he can be traveling to ghana now and spend over a month there it's amazing it's an amazing testimony of god's supernatural power wonderful all right we're going to continue why don't we pray and ask the holy spirit to help us uh so this is by his father we thank you for your word the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple and lord we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation as we continue to look into your word in jesus name amen all right so this is part five of this series on kingdom authority we've been emphasizing our authority when it comes to words And today I want to speak on how to pray with accuracy. How to pray with accuracy within the context of all the things that we have been learning so far. Turn with me to Mark 11 from verses 22 to 24. I think it's different in your notes, but it's from verses 22 to 24. Most of you would know the background of this portion of scripture, but let me give it to you again. Uh, Our Lord Jesus had... The previous day, gone to a fig tree and wanted fruit from the fig tree, but it just had blossomed with leaves. And so he said to the fig tree, no one eat from you from this day. The following day, as the disciples passed the tree, they noticed that the tree was completely dead. So Peter and the disciples exclaimed and said to the Lord, Lord, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and died. And it's from that that the Lord then responds with this. So from verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, But believes that those things he says will be done, He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now I want to go over some of the things that we've already said for those of you that this might be the first time you're hearing this kind of teaching. So we've been teaching really from Proverbs 1821 and expanding on various truths about the power of the about the power of words. And Proverbs 1821 says Death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat the fruit thereof. Also Job 22:28, 28 where Eliphaz makes a statement and he says, you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you so light will shine on your ways. And really what we've been talking about is the kind of authority that God's people actually have because they're in God's kingdom and the kind of authority that is invested in the words that we say. Now, this is a principle that affects all of us, whether we're believers or not. There is an intrinsic power in the words that people say, but in God's kingdom in particular, we have another advantage because of what the thing, because of what our Lord Jesus has done on the cross. So we can enforce God's kingdom through our words. And we said that our words affects the direction of our lives. This is a New Testament concept in James three six. The NIV says it like this: The tongue is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And really, what, when you look at the whole teaching in James 3, what he's saying is, the words that people say affects the outcome of their life. And that when you can control how you speak and what comes out of your mouth, you really demonstrate yourself to be a complete person, a mature person. Because it is a mature and a complete person that can control what comes out of their mouth because what comes out of their mouth affects the direction of their life. And this verse in particular highlights a principle and it's this. If hell is controlling your words or your tongue, then your whole life comes under fire or comes under the judgment and the condemnation of hell. But in the same way, if heaven is controlling your tongue, then your life comes under the authority of heaven and the blessings and productivity of God's kingdom. Uh, The other thing we've said is that our words are so important that not only do they affect the direction of our lives, but it is essential for us to yield our words to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And last week in particular, we touched on the reality that the most important key in the child of God's life is learning to continuously submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus. Many believers are very comfortable to receive Jesus as Savior, but are not so comfortable to embrace him as Lord. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, it means his will is the final say-so over your life. Can you say amen? Amen. And we talked a lot about that. I don't really want to go over it to the relief of some of you. But we've talked a lot about that. And um, the, the thing that I want to emphasize is this, is that yielding yourself to the lordship of Jesus means you are able to live in continuous victory. I was so blessed by the testimonies that were given. You know, sometimes people come and they testify and it's all kind of one-sided, you know, but it's great to be able to hear testimonies that demonstrate our brokenness and our weakness because in that context, you can still demonstrate the Lordship of Jesus. Abby's testimony was so awesome. You know, the fact that she was so transparent. That's the kind of testimony that we need to also allow ourselves to hear that will encourage us. Whatever you see of any man or woman of God, understand this, that they are a product of a lot of failures. Yeah. And that in your weakness and in your brokenness, you can still demonstrate that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And uh, the, scripture, the scripture that uh, we talked on last week, which I think is worth pointing out, is in James 4, verses 6 and 7. James 4, verses 6 and 7. And uh, he says in James 4, 6 and 7, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself, this is the point I want you to see. Submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And the key to learning to overcome the enemy is, first and foremost, submitting yourself to God. Submitting your tongue, submitting your heart to God, and then you resist the devil and He says, resist the devil, which implies this. Once you can handle the devil, you can handle everything else under the power of the devil. Amen. So with that in mind, now let's talk about how to pray accurately or how to pray with accuracy. So Mark 11, 24, from verse 22 to 24, our Lord, in explaining the dynamic that they had seen about him cursing the fig tree, and it being withered immediately so that the next day it was completely dead, he said, he starts with, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that the things he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. He makes an emphatic statement about the power of words. The reality that when you put your confidence in God, and from that posture, you then speak, and you allow your heart to be governed by the fact that what you are saying, you are convinced about it, and it is anchored in your faith in God, then you have what you say to the point where you will experience the supernatural power of God the same way that the Lord Jesus experienced it when he spoke to the fig tree. That's what really was saying. He's simply saying, listen... This is not a big deal. What you've seen me do, you can also do because of the principle of the power of words. And then he says in 24, therefore, in other words, on the basis of this reality, this is how you're supposed to pray. He said, whatever you ask when you are praying or when you pray, believe that you have received it and you will have it. Now, I don't really want to dwell there today. There's so many things we can talk about how to pray with accuracy. But I want to kind of, in a way, go really basic Because I know how we pray as a church, we're a praying church, and I want to bring a bit more accuracy, especially how we pray in the context of our words. Now, our praying, whenever we are praying, prayer basically is communication with God. Whenever we are praying, it must be born from a place of revelation and reality. In other words, when we pray, we must understand what we are actually saying. What I mean by that, I'm not talking about praying in tongues, I'm talking about if you're praying to God in your native tongue, in English or whatever it is that you may speak, the things that you are saying to God must be with revelation. What that word revelation means is, is that it is something that you know because the Holy Spirit has made that truth alive to you. So for instance, I'd be wanted to to quit because of her faith, because not because of it, because of what she was going through, but she couldn't because of revelation. So she reached out. You know, sometimes we do that. We She reached out to her friend that she knew, you know, like if I want to quit, the last person that I should talk to is Austin because, you know, he will make sure I won't quit. He's one of those friends who will just, you know, look, I don't want to, be, I don't believe this thing anymore. Stop talking rubbish. He will grab you. Yeah, yeah, He will. he will grab you. But you see, But you see, what I'm trying to say is that our faith at times, we we are going through things and we we want to divert. But because of revelation, we can't. Our circumstances is telling us one thing. But because of revelation, we can't. Do you understand? Let's be honest. Because of revelation, that's why some of us live a holy life. Not because we want to live a holy life. But because we can't. We are scared. We have a revelation that causes us to be afraid. And we wish we didn't have that revelation. But we have it, so it's you, know, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, so our prayer must be born from a place of revelation and reality. In other words, you cannot pray because your pastor prays. It must be a reality for you. You cannot be doing things in your faith because of other people. You know, it's a nice church, so it must work. I remember one person, a very dear person to me, who's going to be the Lord. They were really ill, and we were all praying, and they said this. They said, they believe they are going to be healed. And when they told me why they believed they were going to be healed, my heart sank. Because they said, all the praying going on, one of it must go through. And when they said that, my heart sank. Because it doesn't work like that. It ain't like kind of potluck where you, you put it in and, and then zoom. It doesn't work like that. Prayers come or have to be born from a place, not only of re, um, revelation, but reality. Everybody could tell you you're going to die, but if you have a revelation of God's word, you know you shall live and declare the works of God. Like I was saying about um, Pastor Steve, even, even though I'm a pastor, even though I'm a man of God and I believe God and all of that, some of his declarations that he used to say, we just were like, well, amen by the grace of God kind of thing. Because he would say, I am believing, I'll be traveling the world, I'll be traveling. And they've told him, your was it liver? Is it liver or lung? kidney? Yeah, you see, I don't even know which one. It's never going to function again. And he has to be on dialysis for life. But today, thank God, we give God the praise. So sometimes everybody's testimony could be one way, but the revelation you have received from God and his word and the reality of your walk with God is what causes you to go through. Can you say Amen. And prayer must be based on revelation and reality. And it must also be rooted in New Testament truths. Say New Testament truths. Many Christians pray from an Old Testament paradigm. What do I mean by that? In other words, they pray as if they're on the same level as Moses and Elijah and Daniel of old. No, we are in a superior place to those guys. The, great, the least amongst us is greater than the greatest amongst them. Because we are in the league of Christ. Can you say amen? Our Lord says this. There's been no greater prophet than John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Say to your neighbor, you're greater than John the Baptist. Yeah. What makes us great is what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, not because of your hairstyle, but because of what our Lord Jesus has done for us or the lack of it. What what is done for us on the cross is what gives us access to that superior privilege. So our praying must be rooted in New Testament truths and it must appreciate what God has done for us through the cross. And what he expects us to do for ourselves. And this is the point I want to begin to emphasize. You see, many Christians pray from an Old Testament paradigm because they pray and ask God to do for them what God has already done for them. You see, in the Old Testament, they would ask God for different things, all kinds of things. God, help me in my family. God, help me with this situation. God, help me with that situation. But in the New Testament, there are certain things God has already done for us and he's not going to do it again. And he expects us as his people to enforce his kingdom in our lives and through our lives. And so for many times when I hear people pray, they pray for things they already have. They'll say things like this, God help me to um, to the preface that is like, God, give me more favor with you. Do you know to ask God for more favor in one sense with Him, in one sense, is a good thing, but in another sense, it's an insult. If you are asking it as if you have no favor, you can ask Him to experience more of His favor, but beloved, you, you can't get more favor than what you already have because of Christ. You are favored the way Christ is favored. Now, oh God, show me mercy. God shows us mercy. That's why we're in the kingdom. Or we pray things. We pray for things. Well, I've noticed we pray for things we already have, rather than affirming what is ours. So, Father, thank you for your mercy. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, I receive your mercy, and I've been guilty of it. I say, Lord, show me mercy. Forgive me. You know, but actually, we have experienced mercy. By virtue of entering the kingdom. So many times people are asking for things and praying for things that they already have. And they are asking God to do things for them that he cannot do. Not he will not. He cannot do. You know, many years ago, there's a man of God that I really respect. Some people don't really check for him. It was Kenneth Fagan Sr. And um, he's going to be with the Lord. And he said one day, he, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and the Lord was speaking to him by revelation, he was speaking to him. And then this demon came in front of him and the Lord and began to just make a whole heap of noise. And I was trying to hear what Jesus was saying and this demon was just making all the noise. Finally, he had enough of it and told, him, told the demon to stop in the name of Jesus and the thing dropped on the floor and whimpered and whimpered and then he commanded to leave and then it went. So after he said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, why didn't you tell the demon? Didn't you see the demon I that? Why did you tell it to go? It, and he said, The Lord answered him, I could not do it. Say, For no, no, I didn't hear you. You meant you will not do it. He said, No, 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 no. I could not do it. From when I ascended, I delegated all my authority. Now, in fact, the Lord, kind of pagan said to him, You have to show me in Scripture. So he began to show him in Scripture the fact that he said, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore. In other words, he received all authority and then he conferred it on the church. And we were saying to him that because of the position he has now, he said, check the Bible. Check through the Bible after the resurrection. You will see no interference of where Jesus is directly doing things. He gets the people of God to do the things that he wants done. Why do you think we pray? Why do you think the church prayed when Peter was in prison? I believe this, the first time when, um, when James was caught, the church probably thought, oh, James is one of the top apostles, he's not about to die. They prayed, but not really serious, and James was killed. When the church saw James was killed, they realized, hey, even though God has, Jesus has said about Peter being old, let's pray, otherwise he could die. There are things that happen to us that are not supposed to happen to us. I'll give you one classic example, the communion table. The communion table, Paul said to the Corinthian church believers that the reason, he said this, that the way you approach the table is such that some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are dying prematurely. You're dying when you're not supposed to die. Are you listening to me? So when we are talking about praying, Our prayer must appreciate what God has done for us through the cross and must also recognize what we are supposed to do for ourselves. Beloved, we must avoid asking God to do for us what he cannot do for us because of what he has purchased through the cross. And many, many believers want God to heal their marriage. God cannot heal your marriage. You have to heal your marriage. Want are you still here? One God, listen to me, one God to force them to marry somebody. Now the Bible says he that finds a wife finds good things and obtain favor from the Lord. So if you know that you're already favored, go and search. He said he that finds. no, that he that is given. He that finds. You are waiting for someone to come. You have to search. Uh, but I believe women is in new covenant, so there's neither man nor female. Women can also search. Are you still here? There are too many things that we want God to do that He cannot do. He cannot do. Like you take money, I, I, many many Christians are praying. God, make me rich. God, give me money. God cannot. Give you, He gives you the ability to create wealth. He gives you what? The ability to create wealth. He doesn't give you wealth. He gives you the ability. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability or the power. That word power is ability to make or create wealth. Believers want pot. We we like potluck kind of... I don't know if pot is kind of like a seventies phrase. Um, Was that lottery? The modern version, lottery. They want lot. They think that it, the kingdom is like lottery. Let's let's put ten pounds in the offering. We're believing for a thousand back. Lottery. Hmm. No, it doesn't work like that. There are rules. There are principles of God's word. There are laws and there are protocols governing those laws. And if you don't understand the way the kingdom of God works, you will be expecting God to do for you what you are supposed to do for yourself. I was so inspired by Chris's um, testimony about the fact that she she didn't just accept what she was hearing, but she investigated. Ah, say investigated. You, You need to investigate. Search out the issues. Concerning any area you want to see God's blessing in your life. Don't take my word for it. Search it out. When I began to understand the power of words, I was so convicted. And even now I'm still convicted. My wife has been reminding me this week, watch your words. Power of words. So convicted because I realized that there are things that I I, I have said. And in saying them, I was cursing myself. You know, this asthma of mine, always my asthma or, you know, my bad leg, poor leg, the poor leg is healing. And my bad leg, oh, it has to be bad. You know, as for my marriage, is hard. My marriage is hard. Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I don't know whether this is true or whether this is fake news, but I, I, I saw the other day that they now have this gadget that can actually amplify your internal thoughts. I don't know if it's fake news. Is it true? It sounds a bit sci-fi to me. If it's true, think about it. Your internal thoughts, they can amplify it. Many people say things to themselves that are detrimental. Now, why why are our words so important in the context of prayer? Because how you speak affects how you pray. How you speak affects how you pray. So if you are used to speaking in a way that is unscriptural and unbiblical, you tend to pray unbiblically and unscripturally. So look again in Mark 11, 22, 24. Jesus says, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, does not die in his heart, but believes that the things he says shall come to pass. He will have whatever he says. So our Lord's teaching about the power of words spoken from a place of faith in God, is then immediately followed by how he wants us to pray. He says, therefore, I say to you, when you pray. It highlights the relationship between praying and our words. Look at how you speak and look at how you pray. And since words spoken in faith has such powerful potential, he is instructing us, What our response should be through prayer. Our words affect our prayers because our prayers will either reinforce our words, our our prayers will either be reinforced by our words, sorry, or will be undermined by our words. So you've prayed, and then after you pray, you say things that contradicts what you prayed. You're praying for the church, and then when you finish, you start complaining about the church. You're praying for your family, and then when you finish, you start insulting your parents. Lord have mercy. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37 says, But I say to you that for every idle word, I've already read this to you in the past, every idle word that, they will, um, that men will speak, they will have to give account. In the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. Beloved, it is your words that acquit you. And it is your words that trap you. It's th- That's the case. Say to your neighbor, take responsibility for your words. Say to somebody else, take responsibility for your words. So, I wa- I'm focusing specifically on how uh-huh, to pray accurately. And one of the things I want to say to you is you, we must avoid religious prayers. Religious prayers. What do I mean by religious prayers? By that, I'm talking about prayers that sound godly, but are either unscriptural or they have no power and are not prayed from a place of understanding. Now, such prayers are common and they are meaningless. For instance, I have seen it so many times. Christians, will pray, we will pray, and I've done it myself, we will pray things that are totally unscriptural. Lord, help me. Help me to, um, help me to do what? <laughs> I have to pick something neutral. Help me to become president. Help me to become president of America. It's not possible because I am not an American. But I like it. If Trump can do it, I can do it. (laughs) Ask Hillary if that's the case. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) But religious prayers are often based on emotions. They're based on emotions, they're based on traditions, or what we've heard people say, and not what we have seen clearly in Scripture. They're not based on the reality of the cross. For instance, it is wrong to continue to call yourself a sinner. It is wrong to refer to yourself as a child of God, that you are a sinner, unless you are actually sinning. As a lifestyle, you are sinning, then you should accurately say, I am, I am a sinner that was righteous. I am now a sinner. I am have, I have, not even backslidden. I am a sinner because I have no intention of changing. I am a habitual fornicator. I am an, a habitual liar. I, I, I like lying, I want to lie, I embrace lying and fornication, they really are nice together. I am a fornicating liar. Do you want to marry me? <laughs> Often religious prayers ask God to do for them what has already been accomplished in Jesus. Now look at what Jesus our Lord says in um, in um, John chapter 14. Now, here's the other thing in our prayers. One of the ways to pray accurately is to pray to the Father. Many Christians, you watch how you pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Father, God, Jesus. <laughs> Father, as I pray, O oh God, Jesus, hallelujah, Holy Spirit, I pray, Jesus, That Lord, Father, God, Jesus, you would help me, Jesus, hallelujah, Father, to be blessed, Jesus, oh, God, Jesus, hallelujah. Which one? Which one? Which which one of the three are you praying to? Somebody said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're all God. One way or another, they will get it. They will get it. It doesn't matter which one. You know, if I say Jesus, well, the Father's name is Jesus. He gave it to his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is here in the name of Jesus. So it doesn't matter. They know my heart. But what did our Lord Jesus instruct? We are to pray the way our Lord Jesus prayed. Since he is our greatest example. And he prayed to the Father and instructed us to do the same. The Lord's prayer, which is a pattern prayer, is that in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You look at our Lord's prayers, he would always speak to the Father. And so we are to pray to the Father out of our relationship with him as his beloved children, really as beloved sons, both male and female, as sons in the kingdom, because sonship speaks of privilege. And as sons in the kingdom, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? We pray in the name of Jesus. Does it mean that every time we pray, we add at the end of it, in Jesus' name? Or if you're Nigerian, in Jesus' name. Is that racist? Okay. Then I repent. No, Nigerians and Ghanaians, they're cousins, so (laughs) I repent. Please don't leave the church, please. But look at what Jesus, our Lord, teaches us. John 14, from verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, let's look at another scripture. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 26. 23 to 26, sorry. And in that day, which day? After the resurrection, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things are spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you figurative lang- in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you. Look at that. Because the Father Himself loves you, he says. He says, I've got 10 minutes left and then I'm done. He says, He says, I will not even, he says, I will not even need to ask the Father for you. So, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It doesn't simply say mean you say in Jesus' name, you can, of course. But when you are praying in the name of Jesus, it simply means you're praying in his stead. You are praying as if he is praying. You are praying as his representative. You are praying like Jesus himself with all the privileges and the rights that he had as a son on the earth is what you are exhibiting. So for instance, in Colossians, he tells us something. Colossians 3.17, he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What does that mean? Does it mean everything you do, you have to say at the end of it, in the name of Jesus, or in Jesus' name before it, and then that is. No, it's ridiculous. Otherwise, forever we'll always say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I'm just walking in Jesus' name. I'm talking right now in Jesus' name. As I have finished in Jesus' name. That's not what that means. It means whatever you're doing in word or do or deed, do it as if you are Jesus Himself is the one doing it. When you are doing anything in the name of Jesus, it means this: you represent him with accuracy, you honor him, you do it with his authority. You do it with his characteristics. That's what it means to do something in the name of someone. So when he says that we are to pray in the name of Jesus, it means we are to pray as if Jesus is praying. And when he says you don't need to ask me anything, of course you don't because you're not asking him, you're asking the Father. But he will do it on your behalf because when you ask the Father as one of his he says to the, I'm, I'm this is my mind. He will say to the Father, you've heard the you've heard the boy do it, according because you've him. There are things at times. In fact, the Lord likes us to be confident. He says we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Another way in which people pray so wrongly is that when they are approaching God, they are approaching God as if God is holding back His blessing. Oh Father, you know I really need help right now, Lord. Please, whatever sin I've done. No. If you're not aware of the sin, don't worry. Because if you need to be aware, the Holy Spirit will tell you. If you want to know what sin is stopping in your life, just say, Lord, is there any sin? Even before the sentence comes out of your mouth, something will come into your head. Don't say, I rebuke you, devil. So what I'm trying to say to you is, is this. The way you pray with accuracy is you pray as a child of God with the rights of the kingdom. Now, coming back to what we talked about some weeks ago about your sphere of authority. Your prayers, one of the ways in which your prayers are effective is when you know the limits of your authority. For instance, I cannot pray effectively for Austin's family. I can pray to a certain degree for his family. I can pray and God will bless him to a certain degree. But there are many things that my prayers cannot penetrate in his family because he is the authority of his family. So whilst my prayers may help him, I can pray for him and Karen and and Melissa and all that is under their sphere. But there are certain things that unless Austin decides to take responsibility, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. There are certain things in your life and in your ministry that until you decide you don't want it anymore, God cannot change it. I was sharing with some of the guys that I mentored the other day that there were certain things I wanted to stop in my life. And because I understand these principles, I knew how I had to pray. I couldn't pray, Lord, take this out of my life because he can't take it out of my life. I couldn't pray, Lord, stop me from doing this thing because he won't force me. So I prayed, Lord, bring me to a place of repentance. Bring me to a place where I no longer want to do this. Bring me, take me there to that place where I will make the decision not to do it. We're not robots, beloved. Prayer is not a machine that forces God's hand. So I know that where I want God to intervene I have to come to a place where my heart is willing to yield to his will. That's the issue for me, and that's the issue for you. That's why the Lordship of Christ is so important. I have to come to a place where my heart is willing to say yes to everything that God presents to me. Until I come to that place, God cannot override my will. He cannot. God cannot, look over here, God cannot override your will. So at times I will say to, like for instance, you've heard me say this about grace. People pray prayers like this, oh God, give me more grace. That is an unscriptural prayer in one sense. Because the minute you ask God for grace, or the minute you need grace, he gives you grace. So the issue is not asking for more grace because he gives more grace. The issue is God, help me to respond to grace. Help me to come to a place where I will yield to grace. I will say yes to grace. So are your prayers, look at your prayers again. Are you asking God to do for you what you are supposed to do for yourself? Are you asking God to do in your family what you're supposed to take responsibility for? There are certain things that will come into my house if Aisha and I are not in agreement. Whether... I like it or not, they will come. I was sharing this with one of the brothers yesterday. There are certain things, whether I like it or not, if I and Aisha break the hedge, the serpent will bite. There are certain things that will come upon my children if I get involved in it. For instance, if I decide to live an immoral life, now, now the, the generation coming, they've got enough devils to fight. And our children, they they have enough stuff to deal with. But if I, as a parent, intentionally I am doing things that I know to be wrong, that I'm not prepared to repent of, I open the door for the enemy to have access. And by the way, no amount of praying is going to stop it. The whole world can fast for you. They can't bend your will. Are you still here? Have you gone home? So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray representing Jesus. I'm going to conclude with this. Let's look at how the early church prayed. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And look at how the early church prayed. And look at how Paul the apostle prayed. And then look at how you pray. Acts chapter 4 from verse 24. Now this is after the disciples had been persecuted. Um, Peter and John had been beaten up. The apostles had been beaten up. And they went to the temple. The apostles actually had been being there. And they went, to the, they went sorry, to the believers and they told them what had happened. And then when, it said, when they heard this, verse 24, I'm reading the New Living Translation. That's what I've given in the notes. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying why were the nations so angry? why did the, why did they waste their time with futile plans? the kings of the earth prepared for battle the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his messiah. in fact this has happened here in this very city. I want you to notice how they began to pray they addressed God the Father and then they quoted scripture they used the word as the basis upon which they were going to Make their request. And then they spoke to God about the current things going on. You see, like, this current situation with knife crime and stuff is very serious. But there is a caution in my spirit about how I'm supposed to respond. Because I feel like we need not to respond like the world would respond. Our our battle is not with flesh and blood. I was listening to one guy, and he was saying, prayer ain't going to help. And some other thing ain't going to help. And I just switched the offer for don't know what you're talking about. I don't even want to listen anymore. Prayer has a powerful place if you know how to pray. He said, in fact, in this, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, who be anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servant, give, give us your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So they asked God to do specific things, and then they did specific things. You know how we would pray? Lord, we bind the hand. We bind the devil. We command the demons to be bound. Lord, we are asking that you will blind them. Lord, repay them for what they have done. We answer by fire. By fire, by fire. We will not see it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. No, 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 no. Like right now. What we should be planning is strategies of evangelism and crusades and how we reach young people and how we heal them and how we deliver them and going into their territory and ministering the word of God to them, you think that counseling is going to help. But, you know, we have been so used to ordinary weapons, we forget how powerful our weapons are. Quickly, one more and then I'll close. Ephesians 1 from verse 15. This is Paul praying. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, this is a New Living Translation, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Do not cease to give thanks for you. Make him mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom. And revelation and the knowledge of him. Now notice Paul again. He, he talks about his prayers. And how he would pray to God the Father. You read other places. The same thing. The believers in the New Testament. They pray to God the Father. In the name of Jesus. Invoking what is clearly scriptural. On behalf of those that were praying for. And that's what we need to do. This is how you learn to pray with accuracy. Let's go back to the Bible we're praying. So tomorrow morning, when we're praying, if you catch yourself praying, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, just just laugh and just just correct yourself. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to talk to Jesus. We're supposed to talk to Jesus. We're supposed to worship Jesus. We're supposed to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Of course, we're supposed to ask him for wisdom and, and fellowship. But when you want intervention into context, you ask God in the name of Jesus. And then some situations you declare the will and purpose of God. If you look at how they did resurrection ministry in the Bible, they will first pray and then they will speak. You know how we do it? That's why they don't rise to the, from the dead. We go straight. In the name of Jesus, oh, Father God. No, 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 no. They will get everybody out of the way. They will pray until they come to a place of faith. And then they will speak to the situation. And then life will come. Hallelujah. We're going to pray. I want us to bow us close our eyes quickly. Um, those of us that wish to just affirm our prayer life afresh in the area of how to pray with accuracy. We're saying, Father, thank you for revelation concerning this. And from today, I commit to praying with accuracy, with greater accuracy. Why don't you stand right now? I'm going to pray that grace is released on our behalf in this area. Father, in Jesus' name, as you stand, raise your hands to him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these precious ones that are standing right now. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation is given to them. Those online, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is given to them that as sons and daughters of the Most High God, they will pray with accuracy. They will pray exercising their authority. They will rely on you for what you are supposed to do. And they will do what they are supposed to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Powerful.